Hey, Vince McMahon, it's time for this week's Stick to Wrestling podcast. Who the hell do you think you are? Welcome to the jungle. We've got fun and games. We've got everything you want, which means we got the Stick to Wrestling podcast. I want to thank Guns N' Roses for writing that song about their favorite podcast, Stick to Wrestling, where... If you give us 60 minutes, perhaps indeed, we will give you a raw bone podcast. Now, I know there are good podcasts out there, but I maintain that there's only one wicked good wrestling podcast, and it's Stick to Wrestling. I'll tell you what, let's ask McGruber. Dude, do you think there's another wicked good wrestling podcast out there? No fucking way. Dude, watch your mouth, but he's telling the truth. This is the only Wicked Good Wrestling podcast, Stick to Wrestling. I'm John McAdam. Follow me on Twitter. I don't just stick to wrestling, especially this time of year when football's rolling and the baseball players are about to start, but I hope I'm a decent follower. Just search John McAdam and follow the guy with the avatars or two guys fighting with chairs. Also, Stick to Wrestling has a Facebook group. It is a bunch of cool guys talking about wrestling, sometimes talking about other stuff. We'll get to that in a minute. We did a fantasy 1987 Crockett Cup tournament where all of the tag teams from all of the promotions got to participate. Stan Hansen and Ted DiBiase were declared the winners of that 64-team tournament, and that is not just a thrown-together tag team. They were teaming up in Japan at that time. Awesome choice by our Stick to Wrestling followers on Facebook, and we're going to do a 1993 Crockett Cup tournament. Coming up soon, I think I'm going to start that tonight. It's Sunday, so we'll be probably one round into it before you get the chance to join. But don't don't hesitate. Join now. And I've had people, scores of people, tell me, don't try to make the Facebook group better. It cannot possibly be better than it is now. Don't, don't waste your time. But this week, on October the 3rd, Saturday, October the 3rd, we are going to do a live college football thread with me and some of the people who have guested on this show participating so circle your calendars i know this comes out uh, the friday before if you're not in the group join us and we'll hang out and talk college football the whole day and there's some good games that saturday including rivalry auburn and georgia who are both ranked in the top 10 so please join us now one other quick thing before we get started This summer, sometimes it feels like this podcast has been jinxed. And thank Lou Kippelman, he fixes it. But we had some real technical issues like this whole summer. It felt like every time I went to record, there was a thunder and lightning storm and that knocked out my Wi-Fi or knocked out uh, Skype or something like that. And I have the feeling the jinx is gone because last week we were recording and went seamlessly. And literally 10 minutes after I, we got done recording, the fire alarm goes off in my condo. And there's no way we, we can record with that going on. The fire trucks show up. They're making a lot of noise. That would have knocked us out for over an hour, but we dodged it. So hopefully the good luck continues. And with all of that said, I want to bring on our guest. He is an excellent guest. He's been on before. It's been too long since we've had him, Mr. Scott Cornish. Oh, that wacky Lou. The jinx is over, we think. Anyway, I want to bring on our guest. 
a he has it's been too long since he's been on the show. He is the noted humorist at the 605 podcast, Mr. Scott Corner. Scott, thanks for coming on. Oh, no problem. Thanks for asking. All right. Now, the the second part of the show, we took questions from our listeners on the Facebook group. Another reason you should join the Facebook group. But Scott, there was something you wanted to talk about a little bit wrestling related, but not just wrestling related. What was on your mind? Well, you know, I have uh, an affinity for uh, the original era of uh, punk rock. I grew up through it, although I wasn't in the middle or midst of it. It was one of the most interesting periods of music ever. And one that I still get great pleasure from <laughs> from revisiting and some of the stuff that I took up with uh, in that era, I'm still a fan of today. But I was reading a book by former wrestler Tom Hankins called The Matt, The Ma, The Band Music uh, out on Crowbar Press. A really fun read about a guy who was not the biggest star in wrestling, but he definitely had an unusual, strange story to tell uh, where he goes through being in a garage band in the 60s and all the people he ran into becoming, you know, a journeyman wrestler on a kind of a very small scale, uh, brief dalliance with the actual mob. Uh, as it were. And music, like I said, starts with garage rock. But in the 70s, he was around the L.A. area. And in addition to wrestling and sort of doing a punk rocker character, which was probably unusual even in L.A. at that time, but he was also playing in a punk band. I can't think of the name of the band off, off the top of my head, but it's all just part of a, what's a pretty great readable book. But talking about being a punk rock uh, wrestler and musician at the same time, I thought, oh, that's, a, that's definitely a unique pedigree. And I was wondering, when was the first time I saw references to punk rock in the world of wrestling? And uh, off the top of my head, and I'm sure you've got some thoughts on it, but off the top of my head, this wasn't the first one I ever heard of, or maybe it was Wayne Ferris, <laughs> somewhere in the South. Uh, no, he was the first one I ever, I ever saw use the reference as a wrestler, yeah. Yeah, and I certainly didn't see him until he was the honky-tonk man. I never saw any footage of him until he was the honky-tonk man. But I remember reading about him, seeing pictures of him as one of the blonde bombers, and it said punk rock on the side of his long tights. But yeah, Wayne Punk Rock Ferris. And there's not much video, if any, I've never seen any. I've seen one photo of him from that era, and he's wearing what can only be described as as kiss makeup. Now, I know he had a really brief and even more brief period where he was known as the kisser. Then Jerry Lawler had him all done up like a fifth member of kiss. But at the same time, he was punk rock Wayne Ferris in sort of kiss garb. But it it made me wonder, uh, whatever year that was, who who in the Memphis or, or the Gulf Coast area or wherever he was working, maybe we should ask uh, Ron Fuller since now we talk, but who came up with the idea of a, of a punk rock character, especially in the deep south? He wasn't much of a punk rocker. No. A, like I said, the photo would lead me to believe that he was even pretty hokey as a, as a rockabilly singer. <laughs> I can only imagine what the, uh, what the punk rock... Uh, I remember seeing an article about him in an old wrestling magazine, and they just said, oh, punk rock Wayne Ferris is working in this area. And recently uh, they said that uh, Don Carson has jumped over to the punk rock side and joined him. I said, now that that is a punk rock team if I've ever heard of it. Uh, <laughs> Honky Tonk Man and Don Carson. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, oh, 
as I said at the time, they came and I, I've died to find out more details, but they just aren't there. He, he came to the ring with the music of Devo playing. <laughs> I was about to make a Devo joke. I was about to be like, oh, no, we, we, we know all, all about punk rock. We hear Devo on the radio. <laughs> so what song did he come out to? I, I don't it's know. Gotta it's got to be. It's got to be something like that. Yeah, I'm sure. Satisfaction, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, I just wondered about that. And then on the heels of that, somebody in Memphis thought it would be a good idea to take this giant jacked up Adonis of a wrestler and name him Sid Vicious. Oh, yeah. And that's almost as good a name for a wrestler or better than it is for a, you know, a skinny punk rocker. <laughs> <laughs> a scrawny and, punk it, rocker who OD'd his first night out of jail. Yeah. <laughs> But then, so, so Sid Vicious, his career goes almost as far as it can in wrestling with the same name as one of the most notorious punks of all time. There again, is it Jerry Lawler, do you think, that, that had the idea for Sid Vicious or maybe Dutch Mantel or who was it back then that had such an affinity? Because if I remember, and I do remember this correctly, Sid had a big muscle-bound friend that tried to break in at the same time, and they named him Johnny Rotten. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't laugh, remember but... this. I, I, I remember Sid, obviously, and I don't think he was Sid Vicious until he got to Memphis. So I'm, I'm thinking these are both Lawler ideas. Yeah, but then I thought about it as I was coming up with this hairbrained idea, and actually, I said, you know, because we think they're all backwards down there. I said, what would they know about punk rock? Where's what's their frame of reference? And then I forgot that short, ill-fated tour that the Sex Pistols did in like. Uh, what was it, 79 or 78 or something like that? I think it was 77. Over. 77? I, I think, think it might have been, maybe have been a year later. But it was okay, supposed to can, start on Saturday. Supposed to start on Saturday Night Live, and then they were going to go here, there, and wherever. And it all, it all fell apart. They couldn't get visas, so they didn't make Saturday Night Live. When they started there, they went to uh, Shreveport, I think. They went into the deep South. They went, yeah. they went someplace in Alabama, you know, they didn't go too many places and every place they went, they made nothing but headlines. And I'm sure and, oh, they went to Memphis. So there you go. Absolutely. You know, they read all those newspapers and saw how outraged everybody was back then. And well, that's at least where he got that. But you said Wayne Ferris is about the first time you heard of anybody like that. Well, I mean, I and remember, then, you you mentioned the Saturday Night Live appearance that got uh, canceled because they they didn't have visas. That spot got offered to the Ramones, and they said no. You know we're too cool for that. We are we don't uh, sub for anybody, and we're, <laughs> we're not replacements for anybody. And Johnny Ramone ten years later was like that would have made our careers. Elvis Costello was replaced them, and and he was convinced that made Elvis Costello for a while. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd never heard that about the Ramones. That surprises me. <laughs> no, I, they're right there in New York. I mean, why not? They're always touring. But yeah, they, they turned it down, cut off their nose to spite their face. I don't know if you saw this, but this was, I want to say 1979. There was a, not a column in one of the after mags, but like a little blurb. And you know how they used to make up the craziest stories, right? Mm-hmm. They They came up with... Big John Studd, Ric Flair, and Austin Idol are going to form a punk rock band known as Cruelty. And at, at the time, I mean, I'm like 13 years old. I'm cracking up. I, I know how ridiculous that is and that someone made it up. Wow. 
Maybe I, I have that playing any, around. I just wonder if there's any stereotypes that are buried somewhere that we haven't heard of cruelty and comfort or in the studio. Who knows? But uh, wow, there again, that's another one I never heard of. But then I was, you know, because I was into that, I always hope was always looking for wrestlers that had that sort of an image or projecting that kind of image or waiting to see if it would pop up. I mean, back then, it was so hard just to see actual real punk music on television that you would go for anything. You know, you'd say, oh, you know, so-and-so is going to be on the Tomorrow Show. Somebody else is going to be on maybe on Saturday Night Live or something like that. Whoever, you know, whether they, they sort of fit into that mode. So I was on the lookout for wrestling. The wrestling was really, other than the, the Deep South there, I think it was kind of slow to pick up on it. I mean, looking back now, Chris Colt that everybody talks about, he absolutely went through a, but you know, a not not very well remembered period where he was crazy. Chris Colt, the punk rocker, he's in oh, the yeah. posters where he's got like a chain going from his ear to his nose. And he did that stuff when he was in the what was the uh, tag team he was in with Fargo. Do you remember a show that came on? I think it started in 1981. As a matter of fact, I'm sure it did. It was called Fridays, and it was uh, like a Saturday Night Live clone. And they would have some crazy acts. Like, they had The Clash on their opening show, and they did four songs. I'm like, I'm going to love this show. And then the show just sucked. (laughs) Yeah, but the same thing, though. I would look every week to see if somebody is cool as the Clash. And the, the night that the Clash was on, I went out somewhere, and the next morning, uh, Cum was still living the, at home, and uh, came up the next morning. My father goes, "Oh, you got to tell me who are the Clash." Now he asked me these loaded questions. He knew who they were, but he sat up and watched them. And I, I for years, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that my father got to see the Clash before I did, <laughs> <laughs> at least on TV. But uh, yeah, no, I definitely remember Fridays and Devo. I think they were eventually on Saturday Night Live, but and there was a healthy competition back there. It wasn't even a competition, but if you did, if you did Fridays, you wouldn't get to do Saturday Night Live. Devo managed it. They were on Fridays a whole bunch of times, but um, yeah, that was just sort of the thing. It was the thing. The same punk rock and and pro wrestling are the same, also in that when you see them depicted like on a sitcom or a talk show, they always get it wrong. They just never, never really capture what the spirit of the, uh, of the actual thing is, you know, any attempt to do a, a spoof of pro wrestling on a sitcom or something always looks moronic. You know, they're always in a dressing room yelling and screaming. And there's a big guy dressed like a caveman holding a club. (laughs) That was, that was the depiction of pro wrestling. Uh, the depiction of punk rock was just stupid, you know. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, so like, like I said, you know, they hear TVO on the radio and like, oh yeah, this is punk rock. We're good. Yeah, no, so the same just... thing. So in in that sense, it it wasn't a surprise that pro wrestling was slow slow to pick up on it, you know. And then you you'd see guys like the Nasty Boys. I guess that they were supposed to be punk rockers because they had uh, they had mohawks and. Uh, Ugly looking clothes, <laughs> whatever. They yeah, exactly. They looked, you know, I, I don't. I, that really wasn't. I, I never. That never struck me as a punk rock gimmick, though. It just struck me as these like two, you know, meatheads from the late eighties. So I mean, hey, give them credit. They ironed out a career out of that. It didn't look good for them at one point. Yeah, I never liked them. <laughs> 
just as an aside, they never, you know, I'm not saying I never saw a good match from them. I've probably seen a couple, but I just never, never caught into that. And then found out what jerks they were <laughs> on the, on the grapevine. But, uh, yeah, never did it, especially when they tried to incorporate Missy Hyatt as their manager. Oh. <laughs> Another thing they didn't know what to do with what somebody that they had. But, uh, no, they, oh, well. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was one of those things where it's like, you know, they thought they'd get synergy out of that. Missy's a big star. We stole these guys from the WWF. Let's put them together. And it was an, it was a disaster, but, I worked with a guy who grew up with them in whatever town they grew up in in Pennsylvania, and he had stories about them, like trying to get people to invest in their careers, that sort of thing. Oh, gee. <laughs> I'll bet. Yeah, I'll bet there's no end of stories. But yeah, yeah, the stories about them are always annoying, but more interesting than their actual uh, ring career. That's just my <laughs> my take on it. But that, let's mean- see who else was who else was there that was in the punk rock mode well in global they had the rotten they said what was the other they were called like the commonwealth or something like that oh, yeah. rotten ian rotten they both barely broke in and uh ian was the one of the two who could do a horrible english accent i mean not since dick van dyke had i seen a, <laughs> such an awful uh such an awful <laughs> british accent but they took a shot at it you know? <laughs> yeah i mean by then you know People were saying punk rock was dead in like 1981. I was like, no, no, it isn't. But by the time the Rottens came around, yeah, it was dead and buried. Oh yeah, yeah, that's when they started picking up on it. It was only the 90s before the Headbangers came. Around. <laughs> headbangers were very punk rock because they wore face paint and skirts. Yes, which is generally what I recall from uh, going to punk shows in the day. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, let me, let me ask you something. You said that you did not like the Nasty Boys. This is a curveball question coming out of nowhere. Who Uh-oh. is your least favorite wrestler of all time? I don't even have to think hard. Sting. Really? Wow. Yeah, never showed me anything. I, you can't even think of a memorable promo that he did ever. I mean, that's not the be-all and end-all. I think that that's actually over-exaggerated, the ability to do a great promo. But he's right up there with Shawn Michaels and that I can barely remember anything he's ever said. His most famous catchphrase is Ric Flair's catchphrase, woo. <laughs> <laughs> and his most famous catchphrase beyond that is, it's showtime, which I think he stole from uh, Beetlejuice, the movie. <laughs> yeah. The best I thing mean, ever was the, was the two years he spent up in the rafters doing nothing. I just <laughs> never liked him. You know, I never liked the character. That doesn't mean he's no good. Yeah, that that's one I don't even have to think twice about. Never liked him. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, when I ask, you know, well, who's your least favorite wrestler? It's like, hey, this guy just never appealed to me. Sorry, don't take it personally. Of course, me. Oh no, asking, I, I wouldn't go around telling people he's horrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I never, never liked it. Of course, me saying, hey, who's your least favorite wrestler? Is me saying, hey, let me tell you who my least favorite wrestler of all time was. Bubba Ray Dudley. I could not stand him. And he, he just reminded me that he was still around when he was on Twitter this week trying to tell me and the rest of the world that he's better than Kofi Kingston. It's like the wrong universe, dude. You're not even close. Yeah, he would definitely be up there if I sat and thought about it. I don't know. There should be something there I could latch on to, but there isn't. But yeah, actually, you know, <laughs> I'm going to have to change my vote. No, no. <laughs> But uh, 
Oh, Bubba Ray, I've never liked him either. Just such an annoying pain in the ass. I mean, time does not permit. You know, that might be a whole different, whole different show talking about him. I remember that when he went solo in TNA and he did the worst baby face turn, not the turn necessarily, but for a while there, he turned and was a baby face. And he was romancing Brooke Hogan and buddying up to Hulk Hogan and all that kind of stuff. He was the worst baby face I've ever seen. And then when he turned, all of a sudden people act like he was doing something revolutionary. Oh my, he's the hottest heel in the business. Well, that showed you how bad things were. If at any point in history, people thought he was the hottest heel in the business. I saw him, they'd shot TV once from out on Coney Island in that, uh, in that baseball stadium out in Coney Island, TNA. And he's doing what he does, which is circle the ring with security behind him and get as close to somebody's face as he can until they lose their temper. And then he acts like a tough guy, you know? Right. <laughs> Hey, you know, talk about not knowing how to be a heel. Talk about being a total mark doing stuff like that. Oh, just awful. Yeah. Uh, people, everyone loved him in ECW. They talk about ECW. Oh, what a great heel he was. People really, he had white hot heat. You know, people hated him. No, they didn't. They loved it. He was a foul mouthed moron. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> just like uh, I'm not going to finish that sentence, but, but he's walking around the ringside at, at uh, Coney Island at TNA. They're shooting it. He gets right in the face of these children. They are young. I mean, they're like 10, 11 or younger. And he's given them the, the mean eye as much as he possibly can. And they're just jeering him and laughing in his face. Yeah. Laughing I remember. 10-year-olds ten, laughing in his face. And then he just he just moves along looking for, you know, an adult drunk to abuse. You gotta go, yeah, that's the hottest deal in the business. He's got kids laughing at him. Oh, yeah. I mean, he did that ridiculous gimmick forever. And I remember maybe five years ago, someone on the Internet was like, you know, oh, he doesn't do that anymore. And the response was a video of him doing it the night before. It was it was just perfect. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm glad to hear that. I you know, never never saw much of monitor. I mean, that's the thing. I, I mean, is that what you paid a ticket to go see wrestling for? I mean, here's someone who wants to see the product bad enough to buy a front row seat and you know, you got to get in their face and be an asshole, quite frankly. I mean, it's one thing. It just, like I said, it tells me that this guy does not know how to be a heel. A heel doesn't care yeah. about the fans. That's uh, what he likes to call nuclear heat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nuclear heat. My God. Anyway, I want to thank everyone who took a moment to send Scott and I a question on the Facebook page. We'll get rolling on that now. Let's start with Steve Campbell's question. Sergeant Slaughter goes to the NWA in 1985. Scott, how do you see him doing there? Well, so he leaves the WWF when he does, but doesn't go to the AWA. He goes to the NWA. Where where does he go? Does he go to Charlotte? We can't think what was going on there uh, in 85. I mean... So he doesn't go to the AWA. He could still have gone to the UWF. That's unlikely. But he had a history in the Mid-Atlantic. I'm trying to think what was around it. Had they been assimilated into Jim Crockett promotions? There wasn't like a separate in 85? Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, let's say JCP just like, you know, throws enough money at him and he starts working full time there. Like, what, what do you see happening? He probably does much better than he did in the AWA, which, I mean... 
they, they pushed him as hard as they could in the AWA. They just didn't have anybody really great to put him against. My God, they were putting him against, you know, whatever made up Russian. <laughs> right. <laughs> come down the pike or, or, or Iranian or, or what have you. In 85, does he get to wrestle? Does he get to go against Nikita Koloff? See, that's, that's what I think. Good. If he was motivated, I think he could have first had a really good feud with Ric Flair. And again, now you've got that currency where you can go into the WWF and say, hey, WWF territory, as they did with a Ric Flair versus Sergeant Slaughter match. After that, you've got a beautiful feud set up with Nikita Koloff or Koloff, Khrushchev, and Ivan Koloff. And after that, I mean, I think after you get that, okay, Sergeant Slaughter against the foreign menace guy, I think you had to set up a feud that isn't against Iron Sheik, not against Nikolai Volkov or Nikita Koloff. Like, you've got to have a more traditional feud with a Tully Blanchard or an Arn Anderson to say, hey, you know, this is not a one-dimensional character. Yeah, I guess that on the surface, it looks like he might have he might have done quite well. He got lazy fast, and he wasn't done by any means when he left the WWF, but he had a kind of poor competition that he had to go against in the AWA didn't do him any favors. He even got rejuvenated when he came back years later and turned heel again, at least, you know, as as far as character goes. But yeah, I mean it all sounds good until you realize that Dusty would have to get in there somehow. <laughs> oh yeah. And that's that the thing. Is, I mean well, still Sergeant Dusty I'm sure would have been a some spectacular team, but it's you know it's all too predictable. Yeah. The Koloff versus versus Sergeant Dusty. I mean, that's the thing. We would have had to count on Dusty Rhodes either stepping aside as the number one baby face or having, no. <laughs> I was going to say, or, you know, Dusty's one and Sarge is one A, which I just don't think Dusty had it in him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> well, I mean, and the thing is, like, it's a fun factor. It's a fun fantasy question, but like he just wasn't coming because he wanted too much money and he was getting that Hasbro money and he was he sat back and enjoyed it. So, I mean, good for him. But anyway, Jace Nakarado asks, what if the VHS wars failed and beta was commonplace instead of VHS? Could tape trading have been affected due to the higher cost for beta tapes? Scott, before I hand this question to you, Jace, you are too young to be asking this question. I'm probably too young to be answering it. But, Scott, what do you think? Well, I'm going to, off the top of my head here, I know, Jace, I'm going to say that this is going to be the nerdiest question we will ask, <laughs> be asked for the entire show. <laughs> Was I sleeping during the VHS wars? <laughs> mm. yeah, actually, no, no chance. I mean, you remember the early days of videotape not even tape trading, but videotape. I had a friend who was, at the time, a friend of mine (laughs) who uh, was a real big into sci-fi and horror movies, like we all were back then. And back then, if you wanted to buy a commercial videotape, it was $100. Yep. And yet, somehow, the fanatics found a way to have that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm saying no, no chance does it change any. I mean, if Beta had won the war, then Beta would have become cheaper, <laughs> and we'd all be uh, talking about how Beta is obsolete now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you, you know, that's, but, a, that's a really yeah. good point you just made. Like, the more you make of something, the less it costs. I mean, I used to 
buy blank DVDs for literally three dollars each, and now they're about eight cents each. Yeah, no, God knows. My apartment is filled with uh, you know ruined formats of, of all my <laughs> completely useless. <laughs> Thank God vinyl is starting to come back. <laughs> yeah. Is it either going, oh, I got VHS tapes that I just don't have the time or interest to. Uh, I, I threw away over half of what I had, just threw them out. Not just wrestling, but anything. And whatever is still left there, I don't have the, the time or the, or the interest to convert them or change them. You know, it just it requires me to physically throw them out unless somebody absolutely said that they, they wanted them. There may be a couple of things in there. But like I have a full bookcase, not bragging, but I have a full bookcase, and I haven't touched any of those books in that bookcase in ten years. I just yeah. make stacks around the, you know, <laughs> the rest of the apartment. Nobody no, wants I mean, CDs anymore. Nobody wants DVDs anymore. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I I threw out so many tapes. I mean, thousands of tapes. Some of them unwatched. Wow. You know, no, bet. I'm not going to watch this episode of nitro from 1996 get it out of here i mean you just get tired of moving stuff around but i still have i would say probably like 400 vhs tapes and will i ever get around to converting them i don't know probably not but but i keep them anyway because i'm an idiot well (laughs) there's somebody else out there that wants them and wants to convert them you know uh, there, never, there are many more people that want them for nothing, but <laughs> they're almost the, worth nothing now. But, uh, oh. I got, you know, when you were talking about books, like I remember oh, the last time I moved, which was like 11 years ago, I threw out a ton of books, which I guess you're not supposed to do, but I did it because I just got, you know, I'm like, all right, I don't read these things. I just have them laying around. You know, I'm not going to read this again. Screw it. Throw it out. But anyway, Jamie Ooh. Ward asks, when are we getting a week of Lou Kippelman as co-host? Well, Jamie, I have an answer for you. When Stick to Wrestling first started, I intended for this podcast to be exactly 60 minutes a week. And I mean 3,600 seconds. That's how, like, OCD I got about it. As time went on, that became more, I realized that was impractical. So what I've been doing over the past three or four months, we have a, a guest on. And I wanted to have an organic conversation with the guest. And if the conversation just goes 30 or 40 minutes, hey, we'll hang out with Lou for the next 20, 30 minutes, right? If the conversation goes, you know, an hour and a half, hour and 40, well, we'll hang out with Lou for 20, 30 minutes. And it wouldn't just be filler. I mean, Lou's, you know, a great guy to have around. He's a great guest. And I figured, okay, well, that will settle our Lou quota. And that just hasn't happened, as you may have noticed. So, I may just have to have Lou on at some point. He wants too much money. He, he's uh, like slaughter. He's count, counting money, counting all that Ron Fuller money. <laughs> <laughs> save that. Uh, have Lou on. Absolutely, you should have Lou on. Lou is great. And uh, let's save it for Sweeps Week. <laughs> Sweeps Week. There you go. There's yeah. an 80s reference. All right. <laughs> Someone named Brian Last, who has an odd avatar, wants to know, would you rather have seen a Bill Watts run against Bruno in the mid-70s or a Terry Funk run against Bob Backlund in the late 80s? What do you think, Scott? Oh, did he say late 80s? I thought he said late 70s. Late 70s, Funk, excuse me. For me, it's got to be, because uh, better or worse, I grew up in the Bob Backlund era, and I always had a, even the stuff I found, uh, <laughs> let's say, unpalatable about him, 
there was something about him that that I that I just relate to. I uh, haven't seen him so much growing up, but I've always got a special feeling about Bob Backman. And Funk is my absolute favorite, so there's no question between those two. I mean, uh, Bruno and Watts, that's always going to be great, but when did they have their feud? In the 60s? Yes. So it's, you know, so it's a retread of a, a, a fantastic, I'm sure it would be a retread, but Bruno is that much older, so it's Bruno in the 70s against Watts in the 70s, and they both were probably, you know, 10 years on from their, their peak, and I can't... Funk and, and, and Backlund were friends. They were comfortable with each other, knew each other from Amarillo and stuff like that. And Funk is, is Terry Funk. <laughs> There's no way that's not going to be great. Terry Funk is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. I mean, it's Ric Flair, and then like the next shelf is like Terry Funk, Jerry Lawler, Chris Jericho, etc. Yeah. Like, I, I would have loved to see, like in 76, if Watts wanted to do it, him coming up and, and having a run against Bruno because Bill Watts is, I mean, he's a great baby face and most of the footage out there of him is as a baby face, but he was a phenomenal heel. There's not much out there, but I've seen it. Oh, he's so condescending and so arrogant and it comes out like he's not playing a role. This is really him. And I think so highly of Bill Watts. I would have loved to have seen that his interviews would have been fantastic. Oh yeah. And he would have been seen as, as a legit threat to San Martino. Now, we just had two cowboy characters. Bobby Duncan was 75 and Stan Hansen was 76. But I think they could have made it work anyway. Bill Watts was that good. I personally think Bill Watts would have made a better NWA champion than Gene Kaniski. And he may have made a better one than Dory Funk Jr. Mm, yeah, but that, that, that's the argument. Yeah, Dory Funk Jr. gets... Today, lately, he's been underrated, I think, because uh, people just, I, I have no frame of reference. I believe it when people tell me what it was like to watch him against Jack Briscoe. I absolutely believe it, but I've never really seen that much of it, you know? Yeah. And uh, but, so to judge it with today's eyes and go, oh, he was so whatever, you know, he was so boring, or so this or that, you know? Yeah, he's probably underrated now than, uh, compared to what he was but. Watts, yeah, yeah, you make a good point about that. But I'm assuming if it were, if he's proposing a Bob Backlund versus Terry Funk, that it's for the title. Oh yeah, it's got to be. Well, Bob Backlund was always motivated when he had a really, really great challenger. You know, yeah, I think that's something we we missed out on getting to see. I mean, who would Terry be managed by? You used to speculate on who would come in and who who they'd be managed by. He would have been managed by the Wizard, you think? I'm thinking Albano, but all, all three of the guys would have worked out, but I'm thinking Albano. Wow. Nah, That's hilarious but, right there. I mean, and, and you talk about having to make a tough choice here because Terry Funk would have been just crazy good in the WWF, as we saw five years later when he came up and challenged Hulk Hogan, and that was, you know, he's five years older. He was supposed to come in in 1980. The After Mags had articles that he was coming in and it came and went, but usually, like, they get good information, and if it's wrong, it's because the plan changed. Like, with Mr. Wrestling 2 in 1981, they were going to turn him yeah. heel, and they just changed their minds. But, I mean, Funk would have been so good had he come in right after that 1979, early 80 Florida runs when he had the Bo Derek braids. Do you remember those? <laughs> I do. 
Yeah, I mean, just for younger that. people out there, uh, in 1979, there was this movie that came out called Ten with Bo Derek in it. And for you know maybe six months, she was like America's hottest girl, Farrah Fawcett, whatever. And she had braids in her hair in the movie. And Terry Funk goes out and gets these braids. It was awesome. Yeah, I think it was his tribute to Stevie Wonder. <laughs> that, that actually could be it, too. All right. Do you know the story about Terry Funk and Bob Backlund at the first Pro Wrestling USA tapings? Uh, I definitely tell us the story. This had to have been Terry who told it. I, I don't imagine Bob telling the story that funny, but I read it in an article or saw it on a shoot or something like that. But I guess you can sort of remember all the different people that were at the launch of Pro Wrestling USA, including Slaughter, Terry Funk, Bob Backlund, on and on and on. Yeah. This brief moment that they <laughs> tried to throw all their stuff in together. So apparently it's way disorganized backstage at the, <laughs> the first taping. And uh, Saio is there, whoever else is there. And nobody can quite figure out who's in charge. <laughs> but uh, Bob and Terry have known each other for years, probably haven't seen each other in ages. Bob sees Terry backstage and asks him, Are you can heal or babyface tonight? And Terry says, Oh, Bob, I have no idea. And Bob just says, well, you better find out which one you're doing before uh, Vern loses his mind. <laughs> oh, that I, I remember looking forward to that show starting, hearing all about it. You know, we're going to have all the names from all of the NWA promotions. And as soon as the show started, as soon as the music started playing, as soon as I saw the graphic, I was like, this is going to suck. It did. I'm sorry. It really, it, it's uh-huh. what Terry basically said it was. It was a, just a disorganized mess. Yeah, yeah, it looked that way. I mean, it, back then, again, I, you just sort of, you know, your eyes are popping out of what's happening. You know, I don't know if I had any insider information back at that time. So I'm just watching go, well, who's coming out next? Oh, my God. That, you know, what oh, little yeah. I knew of those, this doesn't make any sense. These people don't know, you know, <laughs> what is going on here? And and they made Terry the announcer. So, I mean, I I think Terry had a little bit more value back in 1984 than that. (laughs) I would say. All right. Joe DeGlossi, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, asked, do you think Rollerball Mark Rocco could have made been a star in the U.S.? Scott, do you have any thoughts? I really don't. To my detriment, I've seen very little of Rocco at all. I've never heard him do a promo. Not that that necessarily be the most important thing but i i haven't seen enough that i could give you any idea i mean british wrestlers some of them have done exceedingly well but most of them do just okay i mean considering his reputation how highly rocco was regarded not that he's similar but compare him to somebody like fit finley he'd probably do okay but i i couldn't say he would be a big star I don't think he would have been a big star. And I say that without, I, I have never seen him do an interview. And that was a very large component of wrestling in his era. And I also think he was a little bit small, but he was skilled. He was like a smaller, more agile, less Thornton. So I, I liked him, but I, I can't honestly say, you know, you know, yeah, he would have been a star or whatever. I mean, he, Maybe he could have surprised us. I don't, you know, I wouldn't have thought Dynamite Kid would have been a big star, but he was. Yeah, yeah. It, it, mostly it, it didn't work that way. I mean, you can say, oh, well, there's Chris Adam and Dynamite Kid. Billy Robinson did really well. 
and I'm sure there's ones I'm leaving out, but I can produce a much longer list of guys that, that did okay or didn't make it. Yeah. Okay. Let me see. Oh, and I love that nickname, by the way, Rollerball Mark Rocco. I wonder if that would have gotten in the way in the U.S. because I'm sure a certain movie company would have had something to say about that, just like Billy Jack. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Melvin Hurston asks, what if guaranteed contracts never started and wrestlers kept getting paid on the house? Would this have saved some of the territories? Damn, I miss the territory days. Scott, the floor is yours. What do you think? I think you're certainly more well-versed in, in answering your question like this. But I'll say, so all the things are the same, except you are there. <laughs> all the things are the same, except there's no guaranteed contract. And the short answer is no. It doesn't really make any difference. Is cable TV and the expansion still happen? Yes. And I just say the story is the same. The territories were doomed. Yeah, episode four of this podcast, which was over two years ago, and the podcast was, we were still figuring it out, but it was called The, the Territories Are Dead and They're Not Coming Back, and which is kind of harsh, <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's also true. Um, yeah, and your, 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 your key audience is already depressed when they start listening. <laughs> and I use the cover of the Smiths album, The Queen Is Dead. It was very funny. Brian's <laughs> like, you can use that if you want, John, but I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> Oh, man. Let me say this, Melvin. I miss them, too. I, I, don't, I think I miss them more than you do, okay? It was a great system where everyone was kept fresh. Everyone moved from territory to territory, and you would see guys that you'd read about for years and that you'd never seen before. I mean, it was great. Like, the first time I finally got to see Jimmy Snuka, for example, the first time yeah. I got to see... Bob Orton Jr. all after years of just reading about them in magazines. Like I said, it was great. You know, Randy Orton is a, a current wrestler who is really, really good. And he's been on the same television for what, 15 years now. And there's just, you know, yeah. he's stale and there's nothing you can do. If there were territories, we would be able to enjoy Randy Orton more than we do, but that's just not the way it is. Um, And like you said, Scott, it wasn't the contracts. It wasn't the, the guarantees or anything like that. It was technology. It was cable television. I mean, Terry Funk, speaking of Terry Funk stories, told me that as soon as he saw Georgia Championship Wrestling on his Amarillo cable in 1979, he sold the territory to Mulligan and Murdoch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was over. Yeah, we all wanted, I mean, looking back, we all say, oh, I wish that could have lasted. I wish it could have been as good as it was back then when you just couldn't wait to watch it. You couldn't wait to see something from an area that you weren't familiar with or somebody new would come in. And you still get that. I mean, I guess, I guess the fans of today still get to, to be excited. If somebody new comes in. It's just, it's not much if they're just shifting slightly. from one. It's not the same. Well, one, one well-heeled organization to another well-heeled organization. Yeah, and even if someone comes in from Japan or from the Indies, it's just not the same. You know that this is a potential star, but it's not an actual star the way, you know, Greg Valentine was when he first came in. Or, or Big John Studd didn't enjoy him in the ring, but I knew he was a big star. Like, you don't get that anymore. Yeah, what was the last era where guys came out of that territory system? Would that be like Mick Fuller or the Cactus Jack era? Um 
the, the last people that traveled, you know, here and there until they finally made it to the big leagues. I mean, it had changed by the time they got to the big leagues, but there's very few people that that have that level of experience. Yeah, and and plus now, like, we all know, like, look, let's say the WWF signs the hottest wrestler out of Japan. They're going to ruin him. You just know it. I mean, Shinsuke Nakamura was fantastic in Japan, and he gets to the WWF, and they make him just another WWF guy. Well, it took a little while with him. I think they really did make an effort, but he's not worth giving up on. (laughs) What they've done is given up on him, but uh, he he was considered pretty special. And they've got people right under their nose that that haven't really, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) know, Everybody wants something new, and then they get something new, and they don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, and here's the thing, too. Like, I get it. Now we're down to basically three major league promotions all run by the WWF and not everyone can be a star. It is that simple. I mean, back in the day you had a main event, you know, then two underneath matches. And then you've kind of like the bottom half of the card in the WWF was almost always all preliminary guys. Yeah. It's the way it runs (laughs) anyway, but thank you for the question. Now, I have another question from Brian Last. Usually I ask for one question per person, but Brian's a little special seeing as he owns the Arcadian Vanguard podcast network. Oh, <laughs> one, at a, one at a time, Lasto. <laughs> he says, what was the point at which you lost faith in the NWA in 1989 or was it 1990? Ladies and gentlemen, that is known as a teaser. We're going to wrap this week's episode up, and we will answer that question for you next week. I have a lot to say on this one. Hey, super teaser. Scott, you will join us next week, won't you? If you insist. I insist, <laughs> brother. That's the key word. I insist. Hey, so I Sam, to... keep those cards and letters coming. <laughs> keep I, the I've cards looked, and letters coming. Last... I've looked at more of these questions that we've got coming ahead, and we could actually use a few more. (laughs) Okay, we'll find out. So tune in next week. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank our guest, Scott Cornish. I want to thank Lou Kippelman, our producer, for all of the great work he does. This has been a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Be safe out there. This concludes our podcast day.